0: You can achieve. achieve, achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. And today, I am joined by a special guest who is straight from Australia. His name is Daniel C., He is an award-winning author. He is the co-founder of the group Spacemakers, which is a productivity consulting group for busy leaders. And I know you might think this episode is only about business leaders, but it's not. What Daniel is going to be talking about is how to unplug and think clearly in the digital age. He's written a book on this topic, and I think it's real important not only for leaders, but for all of us to be able to unplug in this digital age because you know we got everything on our phones and devices even down to our watches and you know people are out to eat down their phones i just think this is an important topic for daniel to talk about unplugging as well as his global courses and anything else that he's working on that he wants to talk about so daniel thank you so much for joining me today
1: yeah thanks for having me on this show
0: curtis well, I appreciate you. And by the way, Daniel's my son's name too.
1: Oh, well done. You have good taste in names, obviously. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. So, why don't you uh, start off by kind of telling everybody a little bit about yourself because you have an extensive background. So, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah. So, look, I'm from Australia, as Curveball mentioned. I live in a place called Tasmania, which is right at the very, very bottom uh, city called Hobart. So uh, we pretty much couldn't be much further away from each other right now. I know it's nighttime where you are and it's the morning where I am the day before. I have three children. Uh, One's a teenager and the others are heading that way. And um, I've been married 20 years uh, as of uh, last week. Which was good. Uh, I run a productivity consulting firm, as you mentioned, helping people with productivity and training them in how to get their inbox to zero, how to manage online to do lists and set priorities. Uh, And I'm really passionate about helping busy people make space in this kind of whirlwind of life after COVID by rethinking how they understand technology and their relationship with the online world uh, by giving people space from always being online so they can think deeply and rest fully and, I suppose, connect with loved ones uh, without always being on a screen. So that's that's kind of the stuff I do.
0: Kind of explain to everybody how you guys started and, and how you came up with the name, or you guys came up with the name, the group that you co-founded, Space Makers. Yeah,
1: well, I suppose we. Uh, I was a physiotherapist. I think you call them physical therapists in the States. And, uh, and I, I ended up finding myself in this management role where I was just always busy and running from one thing to the next. And I had young kids and I was building a house. I was doing lots of volunteer work at my church and then did a paid role for my church for a while. And uh, all of those things, I just, I just felt so busy. And I realized that so much of my time was uh, running from one thing to the next and I was losing that ability to really be at peace and to make decisions wisely and to uh, I suppose live from the inside out rather than just working from the outside in and the thing I really wanted in my life was more space you know just space to be and not to rush uh, space to enjoy being with my family and not feel like I'm always having to be at the next meeting uh, or just just space to, rest uh, or to pursue things that i really love to pursue and and so we ended up coming up with this name space maker because we're like well actually increasingly space is really hard to find and we're going to have to be a bit intentional and have some skills if we're going to make space to think and rest so obviously not space in our houses physically but space in our lives and that that idea that is that's been our why for over 10 years and the beautiful thing about that why is it has allowed us to shift and change our business offerings when we felt we needed to. So we started by training people in how to make space in their mind by getting the inbox to zero. Uh, so that was like an email training course called Email Ninja. But then that morphed into making space in an organization by doing strategic planning and then uh, making space in individuals' lives by coaching them in their strengths uh, and then, you know, it's, it's moved into uh, as now I'm an author, you know, helping people make space by unplugging from technology in, in very practical ways um, and also helping parents, unplug, you know, uh, help their kids to, to rethink their relationship with technology. I run digital parenting courses, but all of that is about helping busy people make space in whatever way I can by shifting
0: the way they live and work. Why do you think it, it is important for people to examine their relationship with the online world?
1: Yeah, look, I think it's important to realize that we have a relationship and uh, there's some beautiful things about being online. I mean, you and I are talking now <laughs> from the other side of the world, which is which is just amazing. And uh, post-COVID, you know, I, I couldn't have even survived in terms of my business and and my work if I didn't have access to the internet. So I'm really grateful for the miracles and wonders of what technology can do for us. And my assumption is that most of us are almost always online. So it's not that it's an anti-technology message, but what I've recognized in the research and also in my experience personally and coaching is that uh, if we have too much technology, if we are always online, uh, if we trade off, a whole lot of areas of our life which used to be in person, and then we make everything on a screen, well, then we actually lose something of ourselves. We lose something of our humanity. Uh, And and we actually become less healthy from the research. We become less happy uh, mentally, and we actually become less productive. And that's, you know, my field is productivity predominantly. And what I've discovered looking at uh, multitasking research looking at research into young people and screens, into social media overuse, and a whole lot of other areas, um, w- what I've realised is that you need technology to be productive, uh, but then there comes a point where you plateau, and the more technology you use, the, you, you, you lose those gains. You don't necessarily become more productive. It's like a graph that's like an upside-down U, uh, and you reach this productive middle, if you're graphing technology against productivity, the more technology you use, there comes a point where you stop being more productive. And then if you continue using it, constantly using it, you know, when you reach for your phone first thing in the morning and last thing at night, if you're scanning your phone on the toilet, if you're, you know, looking at your phone when you're at home and your family are kind of all, you know, needing your attention and and you just can't get your eyes away from this screen, well then you actually slide down the right-hand side of that curve and you, you you become less productive, less happy, and less healthy by using screens more. And the only way to actually become more fully human, more fully alive and productive and healthy is by creating patterns where you disconnect from your screen in a very intentional way, which is what I call space making, uh, making space to enjoy
0: a breadth and depth of activities away from a screen. Does that make sense? makes perfect sense. And let's talk about social media. Give us your opinion on social media and how it affects our ability to form relationships.
1: Yeah. So look, social media is, it's necessarily, it's it's helpful in certain areas. I use social media for business. Uh, I'm sure you're promoting your podcast using social media. Uh, It's helpful to connect with people we haven't seen for a long time. But it's only helpful in a small amount of. It, it's only helpful if we use it carefully and if we don't overuse it. Uh, as I'm sure you know, if you just spend hours on the infinity scroll, just liking and swiping up and watching funny videos, uh, it, it really does just suck out a lot of time from your life. And that time is really problematic when we take it away from other things. So when people ask me, you know, is social media good or is it bad? Uh, I don't like to say it's bad, but I do think that we massively overuse it to our detriment. And uh, and intrinsically, there are addictive designs within the tool itself. And so rather than talk about is social media good or bad, I think we should be talking about what we're missing out on when we're spending all of our time on social media. And from a research perspective, the big thing we're missing out on is in-person real relationships, eating meals with people. Hanging out at the park with people, going to the mall, just spending time face to face with friends without a screen. And the research is very strong in this area. In fact, there's been long studies, so we call them longitudinal studies, where uh, just there's lots of studies that show that people who have strong and regular connections with people in their lives, face to face, you know, real friendships, uh, they live much longer than people who don't who are isolated uh they are healthier so for example um uh, a uh and a scientist called Susan Pinker, who does a lot of research into the the science of community of relationships with people, she's found looking at the long studies that actually not being in contact face to face with people who you care about on a regular basis is as dangerous for your long term mortality rate, so your your ability to live long, uh, as uh, continuing smoking. You know, let's say a packer a cigarette, a packet of cigarettes a week. Uh, is is just as bad for your health as not connecting socially with people. Uh, it's as bad as breathing toxic air. Let's say you live in Jakarta. It's just as bad doing that as not being in community with people. Uh, if you had a heart attack and didn't get cardiac rehab, that's just as bad as not being in face-to-face relationships. So the point is that actually people make us happy, uh, but we're trading time for being actually with people for scrolling their videos on a screen, and the research definitely shows that that makes us less happy. Uh, It's Facebook, Instagram, none of these things make us happier, and and we're trading it for something that really is valuable. Does does that make sense? So, we need to get back to celebrating real-life relationships, having real meals with people, and trying to be with people we care about in a really genuine and present way because that's what leads to life and health
0: well speaking of that give us some tips how we can disconnect from our devices and and get back to the old school way yeah
1: I know it's funny isn't it the old school way isn't it like actually being with humans (laughs) uh, you know without a screen but uh, it's about simple things actually and in my book, I give a whole lot of practices that we can embed in our life to help us recover what the research says is just really good. Like you said, old school ways of, of doing life with people. And so one of the ones I really love, i mean, a very simple practice, which is a space making practice called the daily pause is to just grab a little bit of space each day together if let's say you live with others, uh, you might have kids, even if you have flatmates, for example, uh, why don't you have a daily meal with, with the people that you live with without a screen? So just sit around a table and eat. Now, I know that that sounds so simple that do I really need to be telling you this, but I was coaching a group of leaders from around the world in a global, global corporation in New York. And, uh, and I mentioned this idea of just eating a meal around a table once a day without a screen. And one, one girl in her mid-20s said, wow, I've never done that. But my flatmates and I have just started to eat on a Wednesday together around a table. Uh, and, yeah, we're putting away our phones and it's awesome. It's like it's the 1950s, and then and then every person in that meeting, there was about 15 people between, uh, like early 20s, mid 20s. They all said, "Wow, we've never done that. We should we should start eating around a table together." So I realized that the way I grew up is actually really different than how most people grow up nowadays, and uh, it's really important to recover eating together without a screen around a table and. And the research is incredible. Uh, Parents who eat with their, uh, let's say, younger children regularly, uh, their kids end up having better reading and writing skills, so numeracy and literacy, that they're better at reading and writing than kids who don't eat a meal together with their family, which is really interesting. Uh, Then you look at teenagers. So a 12-year-old girl who eats regularly with her mom and dad or with parents uh when, when that's not with a screen when it's around the table, if that's on a regular basis, uh, when you track that person's trajectory, statistically, they're less likely to be pregnant at the age of 17, less likely to be addicted to drugs as adults. They'll have better mental health outcomes. They'll have less debt. They're more likely to go to college. They're more likely to earn more income when they're older. Simply, and the only variable is that the family ate together. And talked with one another and and the beautiful thing is it doesn't even matter what you eat you can uh, cook you know ridiculously kind of gourmet i don't know organic broccolini or you can get a two dollar pizza out of like from the supermarket and put it in the in the microwave and and the outcomes for the young people's health and happiness is the same so it's not the food it's about being together in community and talking having eye contact, listening to each other's day. Uh, And if that idea is so foreign that you're not sure where to start, uh, I have some really specific questions in the book and some ways in which you can uh, start conversations in a really beautiful way without it being awkward or unusual. But the simple things, you know, isn't it, Curtis? It's just the simple things that we forget
0: now that we're living in this kind of
1: digital age.
0: And before we get into your book and you kind of tell us about your book, talk about, you know, people are getting their kids' cell phones younger and younger. So in your advice, when do you think a child should get their first smartphone?
1: Yeah, it's a really common question. I'm asked that all the time. Uh, Look, I won't give you an age. What I will say is based on what I've seen in the research, I think like when I was born in the late seventies. Okay. So, you know, I'm in my mid forties now. And I remember hearing that uh, in the seventies, you would go to the doctor's office in Australia and there would be doctors that would have ashtrays and cigarettes like in their surgeries, which, you know, you think nowadays, well, wow, I, I don't, I'm assuming in America, you don't have doctors smoking when you go to the doctor. Uh, and yet, um, you know, we think, wow, how did we, why did we do that? And I, I think we're going to look back in 10 years or five years and think, wow, uh, giving really young children smartphones without filters was exactly the same kind of, you know, was the th- same type of thing. And it massively impacted their mental health and happiness. So for my daughter, she gets her first smartphone uh, when she's 15 years old. Uh, that will be in six months. And she uh, won't be using. None of my kids will be on social media until they're 18. They can use Google Hangouts and some things that I think are as um, screen-based as, let's say, Instagram or Snapchat or TikTok. But um, look, the research says that 12 to 16 year old girls who regularly use social media end up feeling lonelier, more depressed. More suicidal and less happy. Uh, Jean Twenge, who did a l- looked at the longitudinal research in America over four large studies, came to the conclusion that teenagers who spend more time on screen activities uh, are consistently less happy and healthy mentally, and kids who spend less time on screen activities are consistent consistently happier and healthier. So, you know, the idea of giving my daughter. Her first phone at 15 years old is like so far behind like the normal curve. Most, most kids are getting phones when they're 8 or 9 or 10 years old in Australia. Uh, and yet, uh, why would I give my, my daughter something that is statistically likely to make her unhappy to experience bullying, sleeplessness because of uh, distraction and online bullying, increases their risk of cyber safety risks, Uh, And I suppose the one thing I'd say when parents say to me, well, uh, you know, I ask parents, why do you give your kids phones at a young age? And they always say it's to make them safe. And uh, that just does not add up from the research because our society, even in America, actually is safer than it's ever been. It doesn't feel that way. It feels much less safe. But uh, when you compare violent crime statistics from the 1990s to the mid 2000s, there's less violent crime in America and Australia than there was when I was born. I'm not sure what's happened in the last five years. That might have increased again. But what I'd say is um, that the danger is happening through grooming and through strangers, uh, through online pornography and other, other online channels, which really, really impact young people's mental health and happiness. So the safety argument, I don't, I don't think that adds up. I, I think we're giving kids phones because we want to be in control of their lives, and we want, we want to feel like we can always talk to them. It's not really about making them safe. Uh, I'm not sure if that connects with your experiences.
0: is, yeah,
1: is there I, similarities?
0: Yeah, I, I definitely can understand that. I definitely can understand that. So mm. t- tell us. About I suppose
1: your- all I'd say, actually, what I'd say is that. I say 15 years old. I'm not judging any parent who's given their kids' phones younger. It's really hard. There's so much social pressure, and we give our kids' phones for lots of different reasons. Sometimes they do need it to to catch the bus. Sometimes they do need the phone for for particular health reasons. Um, But uh, all I would say is where possible I would encourage parents to go slower than they're being pressured to go. So uh, the pressure socially and commercially is to go younger and younger and younger. And I would say it's worth holding off and really thinking about why you're giving your child a phone. It's worth giving them a digital contract so that you have good agreements in place when they get one. They should have filters on their phone. Uh, they shouldn't have open access to whatever apps or applications they want to use. So so, so realize you, the phone it opens up children very very quickly to the adult world and uh, you don't want to give them an unfiltered phone particularly when they're in primary school that would definitely be my advice and it, it mirrors the advice of experts around the world
0: absolutely so tell us about your book you know tell us the name tell us what readers can expect when they read it
1: yeah so it's called a uh, spacemaker how to unplug unwind and think clearly in the digital age and it's written For adults, it's not a parenting book specifically, but the principles obviously translate. Uh, And really the the premise is that um, most of us are overwhelmed and overloaded by technology and we're missing out on some of life as a result. And we're missing out on space and the beauty of uh, life that comes when we have more space. And so it's a very practical book, but it's also based on research and coaching experience. And I share a lot of my personal stories in it. Uh, and the book goes from the paradigm of technology. So, so what, is, what are the mindsets that we need to have, have or shift in order to rethink why we get so addicted to phones ourselves? And I, I don't spend much time talking about the design or the likes or the ways in which the apps actually make us addicted. I talk at a human level, you know, why, why uh, are we drawn towards technology to express the loves and longings of our heart? And how does digital power impact us? And how does the stories of our culture of freedom and choice change the way we we want to gravitate towards always being online? And how does it change our brain from a neuroplastic, a uh, brain chemistry perspective? So I, I spend a bit of the book talking about technology and our relationship to try to help us to shift our worldview and to create an imagination for the world, which is bigger and broader and better than constantly being on online like a cyborg. Uh, and and uh, and then we go to the principles which are what are the principles by which we can shape our our time to help us be happier healthier and also more productive and then the final section is very very practical like how you know what questions would you ask around a meal to start building a digital free meal or how might you have a day off once a week without your phone which i call the digital sabbath or the digital day off or how might you just uh, go for a walk um, and and not have a podcast or music in your ears, but think your own thoughts and and, and pay attention to the world around you. Uh, and they 're not just random tips uh, there 's a structure for how you might think about space making as a pattern throughout your year. So creating annual patterns and then weekly patterns and then daily habits so that you can build up these practices over time and recapture the art of being truly human. So, yeah, that's that's really what the book's about.
0: Well, let's talk about any current or uh, upcoming projects that you're working on that people need to know about.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I'm speaking on the book and uh, we've just created a training course called Making Space, which is for teams who are feeling tired and shattered and they need to have some space to reflect on their practices and improve their digital wellness. So uh, that course is three hours and we run it online and I help people talk through these ideas. Uh, I also run a digital parenting course, which I'm starting to to do more and more of, and I might run that online next year or sorry, later this year. Uh, And, Uh, And I still have the basic productivity courses that we've always run. They're three-hour courses, which again, I I have a trainer in Canada, so we can train anyone in the US and Canada at a time zone that suits you. Uh, Three-hour courses like Email Ninja, so how to get your inbox to zero and have less stress. Uh, List Assassin, which is how to get things done, but get the right things done and by creating an all-of-life productivity system using a two-level list and Priority Samurai, which is how to know what your priorities are in life and then make sure that the things you do day by day reflect those priorities. Uh, so I'd love you to look up our website and you know, connect or book us for team training if you're interested.
0: Speaking of that, that leads to my next question. Give out your website and your social media and ways that people can connect with you and see everything that you're up to.
1: Yeah. So look, it's all on my website, which is spacemakers.com.au. That's spacemakers plural with an S uh, and the AU is for Australia. Uh, And look, there's uh, free information about how to start a digital Sabbath. So if you go to the book page, you can get free resources, videos and worksheets to help plan a day off without technology, which is probably one of the hardest practices. Uh, and of course, my email address is also on the website. So if you have a question, you know, reach out and it'd be great to have a conversation.
0: Well, let's close out with this question. If there was a message that you could pass on to people, what would that message be? Close us out with that and any final thoughts that you might have?
1: Yeah, look, I suppose just there's value in making space. Uh, to think deeply and to rest and to experience life broadly. Uh, You know, I have a faith background and I I often think that, you know, in the kingdom of heaven, you know, in heaven, there won't be email notifications, (laughs) there won't be Facebook scrolling, there won't be constant busyness and exhaustion uh, where we're running to stand still. We we will have space and we will have time to think and there will be rest and peace. And the way we work will be quite different. And so why not try to experience that a bit more in this world? Uh, and, yeah, so space is good and, and it's worth actually chasing some space in our, yeah, in our busy lives by putting it first and allowing the rest to happen around it. That, that's probably my message. Be a
0: space maker. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, Daniel C. from Space Makers. And if you know of people that need to be space makers, Please be sure to follow, rate, review, share this episode to as many people as possible so we can all learn how to unplug Android listeners. Go to the Google Play Store and download the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast app. Daniel, thank you so much for joining me tonight and gracing us with your expertise. Yeah, thanks so much. It's so good to
1: meet you and keep doing what you're doing. It's a beautiful podcast.